Sandra is the head of people operations at Church Community Builder, and she has a lot of experience with training and development. She has a lot of good insight, and y'all are really going to enjoy learning from her. But before we jump into that, John Mark, tell me something new. I'm part of the Be Encouraged group led by Frank Sinclair, a previous guest on Facebook. And one of the things that I saw in there was the Navy SEAL motto. The only easy day was yesterday. And that really struck a chord with me. In essence, you should be challenging yourself every single day. You should be growing. Each day should be more difficult than the last because if it's not, then what did you do to grow today? How did you help other people? How are you moving forward as a leader? So that's been something that I've been thinking about and kind of meditating on in my mornings and just making sure that I'm constantly moving forward. And I really appreciate that quote as well because it's very intentional about being in the moment. Uh, One thing that I heard that kind of is not necessarily the opposite but complements it really well is if you're having a hard day, just remember at the end of the day, you'll still be in your bed. So even though today's challenging, things will get better and you'll move forward. Without further ado, let's get into this episode with Sandra Calhoun. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Ratspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we are so excited to have Sandra Calhoun as a guest. Sandra is the head of people operations at Church Community Builder. And before we dive into things, Brent has an intriguing icebreaker question. So Sandra, glad to have you on. Tell us if you had to pick one theme song that had to play every time you walked into a room, what would it be? Great question. My favorite artist growing up as a rock star was Pat Benatar. And so um, hit me with your best shot, which is kind of my theme of, you know, bring it on. Let's see what you got and uh, see what I can do with that. So that would be a fun one. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. You could do, you know, like a little like walkout dance with right? it too. And yeah, just get the energy going in the room. Exactly. Plus, we tend to shoot each other with um, darts back at work. So it kind of fits there as well. <laughs> it's literal and metaphorical. Absolutely, so right? Everything. Awesome. Sandra, you have a very diverse background. Some of the other guests that we've had on, on the show are a little bit more entrepreneurial. Some of them mm-hmm. are a little bit more corporate, and you fall more on the corporate mm-hmm. side. So tell us a little bit about your story of how you got to where you're at as an executive at Church Community Builder. So I would say kind of fell into it, to, to quite um, honestly, working through grad school, working for Chili's Restaurant at the time. I, I always gravitated towards leadership roles. So while I was in grad school, became a trainer in the local store. Uh, got married during that time, and my husband was still finishing up grad school. So that next year, even though I had graduated, uh, stayed within the company, but became a corporate trainer. So went around and opened up restaurants, and so taught, trained, led, uh, and then eventually got invited into the corporate office um, to train and, and develop leaders uh, along those lines. So kind of fell into it to some ex- to some extent, but just has have always gravitated towards leadership of some sort, or teaching, or training other people. Really went down the path of training and. Development development, uh, both of supervisors as well as uh, new employees, things along those lines, really um, built around 
things like, um, you know, how do you lead other people well? How do you provide feedback? A team, obviously back when uh, team dynamics was really big, ran a ropes course for Brinker International for several, quite a few years. And what was neat about that was we marketed it in Dallas to other corporations. So that's where I kind of began to venture into how do other companies do it and learning their culture and what worked and helping them grow. So sort of it was a pseudo consulting company uh, role, even though I was within my company was corporate with Brinker International. We were playing consultants to these other Fortune 500 companies like J.C. Penney, you know, Frito Lay, uh, Texas Instruments was a huge client. So that's where I got my feet wet in that whole kind of consulting field of leadership development. Got to create some training programs around that and just continue to grow and develop in that area. I actually went in, left there, and became a, an actual consultant with the federal government with the Immigration Naturalization Service through a contract uh, with them. And that's where it was even deeper uh, development of leaders within that world. And that was pre 9 11. Um, so that was interesting. And then, of course, saw the transition of that. Ended up with T-Mobile when we moved out to Idaho. They opened up a brand new uh, call center out there, a customer care call center. Went in as a trainer, knew nothing about call centers, knew nothing mm-hmm. about cell phones, right? That was when the market was maybe 45% saturated with cell phones, which I know is uh, long before you guys. Uh, <laughs> knowing what that, nobody had cell phones? What was that like? Um, <laughs> So that was a big change, but that's where I really got my feet wet in the operations side of the house. So now it wasn't just teaching leadership, it was actually, oh, I got to do it now. And that's really, really where it came to life, where I made a lot of the same mistakes that leaders made, even though maybe intellectually I knew better, but it's easy under pressure and, you know, to fall into some of those, but also got to practice a lot of what I knew and had learned and had been teaching for years. So went out into the operations side of the house and learned what it meant to actually get results, to deliver the metrics, to deliver the bottom line and things that doesn't always work as the textbooks say it ought to work. <laughs> so you have to modify and adjust to the people that you're leading. Did that for quite a few years. Um, while I was with T-Mobile, moved out here to Colorado and became what was called a leadership development manager. And that's where I got certified as an uh, internal coach, executive and leadership coach within T-Mobile. That was a big focus that they had. So got experience coaching higher director level leaders and vice president leaders. And so learning that that's a whole different ballgame too versus a frontline leader because you're having to be more strategic. And how do you hand that off and lead other leaders well? So got tons of experience doing that. Actually went out for a while after I left there and had my own business as an executive coach. Worked in a multitude of different companies and organizations, helping them with their leaders, grow them, develop them, measure them, deliver the bottom line, uh, and knowing what that looked like. And the great thing about that was they were long-term contracts. So you actually got to stay with leaders for 18 months, 24 months, and really see them grow and change and uh, help that company adjust to their trending market or where they were at and what they needed from their leaders and be forward-thinking. Ended up back at Church Community Builder in... 2016 of March, they were looking for someone to be intentional with their culture and their leadership development of their staff. They really didn't have anything in place. They had a good culture, but when I talk about being intentional, there wasn't any programming around it. There wasn't any true focus of, okay, how do we take this deeper? And as we're growing, the company was growing. And it's like, as we get bigger, obviously culture can change if you're not intentional about it. So they brought me in uh, originally as part of the executive team to really focus on developing their leaders, setting them up for the next level the next big jump as to who they were going to be no longer a startup company but now a mature company 
And how do we help our leaders be prepared for that? We can only scale as high as our leaders are able to take us. And so realizing that they need to be intentional about that. So brought me on board there for about a year and a half and then ended up... um, also uh, owning uh, the other side of the house of anything to do with people. We call them associates at Church Community, Church Community Builder. And so anything from the associate life cycle, from the recruiting to the all the HR stuff, to the facilities, to the hospitality of guests in our building, the um, cultural events that we have, the taking culture to a deeper level, as well as all the people development side of the house. So that's kind of what my team is responsible for. Speaking to your your actual technical title, head of people operations, is there a certain reason why there's that distinction, not, you know, head of HR or head Mm -hmm. of operations? It seems like a very deliberate title to have. Great question, Brent. It is a very deliberate realizing that people are your greatest resource. Technology is awesome. Obviously, we're a RA technology company and you need technology to do well. But the bottom line is, is you've got to have people who are engaged. And that's a huge focus for us is how do we help our associates to be fully engaged? There's been all kinds of research around that, uh, that it, there's a direct effect to the bottom line when your people are more engaged, not to mention for the organization, but your people are more fulfilled too. And <clears throat> that's big for millennials and Gen Xers is they don't just want to come for a paycheck. They want to be fulfilled. They want to feel like they're growing, that they're being challenged, that they're being engaged, and that the purpose that they're serving is greater than themselves. And so you have to really recognize that. You have to honor that, and you have to create opportunities for them to do that. So people operations is <clears throat> understanding that you have to have a foundational piece for your people to operate at a, sex, a successful level, that they can maximize their skills, their abilities, their strengths, and it takes all of these pieces pieces around it. It takes a a culture that invites them to be engaged. And there's a whole load of things that go with that. It takes bringing the right people on board. Uh, We do a huge process. We were talking before this about it's pretty intense process when we do hire people. It's multi-level. We end it with a cultural fit. Every one of our new candidates has gone through a cultural fit where they interview with multiple associates so that we make sure this individual aligns with their values and not that they're just like us, but they align with the values that we operate under as a company so we can be in sync. But they're also going to add value to. They're also going to bring their unique talents, skills, perspectives, backgrounds and all that. And they're just going to add to our culture. But you have to be intentional about that. And so we're very protective of it. So it's all of those things as well as understanding that when we invite people into our building, uh, what's their experience, you know, as a guest, as a vendor, as a customer? What do they experience in that? And what does that tie look like? It's almost like taking the HR role, <laughs> which is very internal in traditional mm-hmm. senses, and making sure that you're looking at all of the stakeholders of the company and all the people who interact with it, all the touch points, which I think is something that you don't really hear about in, you know, a, a textbook business setting mm-hmm. when, when you learn about it. One of the things you mentioned that I really love too was the idea of, you know, they brought you in to change this cult, uh, corporate culture and they had the intention to do it, but they didn't have the programming behind it. One quote that uh, I heard recently was, hope is not a plan. Mm-hmm. And it really stuck out to me. So in your experience, if someone doesn't have that plan or that programming, what's the effect of that? Do you see them just plateauing or do you think see things start to just kind of unravel by themselves and actually, you know, step back in progress? I think the reality is that you're going to have a culture 
The question is, are you going to have the culture that you want to have? And that's going to set people up and the organization up for success. So you have to have a distinct idea of, first of all, defining our culture, defining who are we going to invite into it, and then what are going to be our expectations of them in there, and what are their expectations going to be of us as leaders and uh, peers and really family members because we're working and living together every day. So if you're not intentional about it, you're going to have one, but it may not be one that you really want. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. I give that example of one of our top values is uh, be teachable. And that's like our number one value. Because if you can be teachable and if you can hire people who are teachable, then you can teach them all the other values. You can encourage them. You can develop them if they're open to learning and they're open to feedback and they're seeking it and they desire it and they want it. So that's a huge, huge thing for us to build our hiring process around as well as our performance management tool around. You know, one of the expectations I have of all my leaders is that you have to meet with your people every month to be sure that they are getting that feedback and knowing how they're doing, knowing if there's roadblocks in their way. Are they frustrated? Are they being successful? What are their strengths? And are they getting to use them at work? You have to have that ongoing conversation, which is tough sometimes because you're trying to get the other job done, the task part of it, the execution part of it. But this is just as important, if not more important, uh, that you're touching base and you're being sure that people are being able to to be who they feel called to be or where their strengths lie and, and their goals and their plans. So you have to be very set up of what does that program look like? So we start out with every associate has to go through a values training. And that's where, what does Be Teachable look like in this environment? What does enhancing trust look like in this environment? What does being tenacious look like? Because we can all have our own definitions of those values, but what does it look like here in the context of church community builders? So we get everybody on the same basis and understanding of the behaviors that we have for ourselves, leaders, who have to demonstrate it first. It's got to come from the top down, as well as associates that we're inviting um, and are seeking to come join uh, our family, our work environment. Then you've got to create other processes like performance management that then encourage it. Is there accountability around it? Do I get feedback about if I'm being teachable? Do I get feedback of am I creating a positive team and family spirit? Is there recognition? Is there opportunity for me to voice um, as a frontline associate? I'm able to voice my frustrations or my concerns or my desires or what I think would help make us better. So programming is very important, but it's got to be aligned all the way down with the baseline of what is our values. And that infiltrates who are we going to recruit? How do we position that? How are we going to bring them on board? How are we going to teach them? And then how are we going to allow them to have an active voice in our culture to keep it growing and developing? Y'all have obviously been very intentional with mm-hmm. how you've set up the system. Was that system in place before you came or is this something that you've developed over time from 2016 to now? The values were in place. Our CEO, who is, uh, well, he was our CEO at the time and owner. He was one of the original that started the company. We now have a different CEO, but he, the owner is still very involved. And so he was very, it was very important to him to have defined values. And that was something he grew into. I think it was about four or five years into the business as it was starting to grow both by number of churches as well as staff, realizing that we We've got to have this foundation. He, in fact, the other day he was reminding me that it came out of him having to fire the very first person. He hated it, didn't want to have to go there ever again. So, in you know, he talked to a lot of experts and realized that if I don't ever have to fire anybody, then one, I've got to help define for our organization what are the values. And this wasn't a performance issue. It was a behavioral issue. It was a values issue. And so he realized how important it was to establish what are our values here and how do we demonstrate those on a daily basis? 
across the board to get everybody on the same page with that. So people come in with very clear expectations of what is going to help them be successful there. Not just on the technical side, that was it's pretty easy for some degree to, to find out if somebody can technically do the job. What you can't always see in the interview process, if you're not really intentional about it, is but how do they get about doing it? Do they run over people doing it? Do they, you know, uh, is their integrity compromised in order to get to the goal type of thing? You know, metrics can drive that sometimes. So that was a big eye opener for him. He's like, I never want to have to hire somebody for that type of reason again. And so he actually created the values and they tried to keep those in front of the staff. Every year he created a book that had, you know, it was a great graphic design book that people could would get and be able to see what they were. But there wasn't the programming behind it. And there wasn't the how do we help people really understand what they are? And then how do we create other things to reinforce it on a day-to-day basis? So recognition of people who live the, live the values, performance management, feedback about how people are living the values. How do we define what that looks like and to what degree and what level? So those are the things that I brought on board um, was, you know, what does that look like? How do we reinforce it on a daily basis? What does our language sound like? What are the questions we ask? How do we get everybody in sync on what that should look like? And yet allow people to keep their diversity and their uniqueness in that setting as well. So it's obviously such a critical piece that discovering your values and making those programs behind it in corporate culture. But moving on a more kind of personal individual side, a lot of the people that we come across that are in our age range, you know, either in the young professional Mm -hmm. demographic or the college student demographic, they have this problem to where they don't really know where they want to move towards. They don't know what their values are. So Mm -hmm. coming from that corporate background and establishing that on larger scales, do you have any recommendations on helpful exercises people can do to one, discover their own values and create processes to help them get there? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really encourage young professionals to do is to take some time to figure out what are my values, what are important. I talk about cultural fit from an organizational standpoint of we want to bring staff on who will add value to our culture and take it to the next level and grow it. At the same time, those candidates should be evaluating us as an organization to say, do we align with their values? And it's no right or wrong. It's just at that season in their life, at that time of where they're headed and what they're trying to achieve, do those two match up? With that, So it is very important when you're looking at joining an organization or an entrepreneur or a partnership, it is important to know what your values are and to try to define those. Um, Brene Brown has a great exercise. Um, I actually did it the other day for myself. She'll ha- she has listed in, in her book, Dare to Lead, which I highly recommend, that has a list of probably like 50 different values out there that are kind of generic, and she only lets you pick two. But they're all great. So how do you narrow it down to two and not what you think they ought to be, but in looking at your own behaviors and how you make decisions, when you look at how did I make the decisions to go to this school? How did I make decisions to choose this major? How did I make decisions of who I hang out, hung out with, right? Who I spent time with? How do I make decisions of how many times I go back to visit my family? And there's no right or wrong to that, but typically we will behave and act upon what's the most important thing to us. And that can be a variety of things. Like I said, it's not a right or a wrong, but it's important for you to know what is the most important to you and to narrow it down. I don't know if you have to go to two, but I wouldn't go to more than five and kind of rank them. Because then once you know what is what you gravitate to and what seems to have the most importance to your life, then as you're looking at who you want to work with or who you want to associate with, partnership is huge. If you're going to go to, into an entrepreneurial partnership with somebody, 
huge that you have very, very similar and like-minded values. Doesn't mean same personalities. It doesn't seem mean same strengths. In fact, it's better if you don't have the same exact strengths and personalities and backgrounds. But the value piece is what you can build off of and be aligned as you're making huge decisions and directional strategies. One thing kind of touching on that that was a real eye-opener to me is when I was looking at my own self for what are my values, I think traditionally people look at either goals, outcomes, or objects as their values. Mm. I was listening to another podcast and a gentleman was saying that his value is he likes convenience in life. I thought that was a real game-changing thing for me because I didn't realize that a value could just be a lifestyle, basically. Right. So it was really eye-opening, to, and it helped me kind of narrow mm-hmm. down the values that I was looking at, too. So I think it's a great exercise, and it's really helpful to have a list of mm-hmm. you know, 50 or so and being able to just take some time and work through those. Right. To your point, I imagine he came to that conclusion because he looked at his behaviors, how important mm-hmm. it was for him, how, what decisions did he make, and it was based off convenience. He might choose this product over that product, or he might choose this route over that route. Uh, and getting to work or going somewhere. Um, And so he was able to put those pieces together. So it is important to really look at your behaviors and uh, how do you go about making decisions? So a lot of what I'm hearing you say is it's important to take time to reflect, to truly understand really what is important to you. Who are you? And how is that going to affect you moving forward? Absolutely. It's really important that you know what journey you're on and where you want to go. And you need that culture that's going to support that. If you're very adventuresome and you're like, I need adventure, I need variety in my life or in my job. I need to be able to grow new muscles, new opportunities, new strengths. Then you need to be aligned with an organization that also embraces those types of values, or you need to put yourself in a situation that embraces that. A lot of times your your bigger organizations that are established, well-established over the years may not be as adventuresome. They're keeping the big machine rolling, and they're going to be more specialized, and you're only going to get to do this part of marketing, even though there's a hundred different things you could do in marketing. So it's important that you understand what are your goals, or do you like that, just being able to deep dive in one specialized area? If that's the case, then you probably do want to go to work for a bigger organization where you can really, really get good at that particular aspect of your arena and where you're focused on that. So if you don't know yourself, you can easily get misaligned with an organization that's going down one path, but your heart, your desire, uh, your values want to go down another path and you run into that conflict. It's not a hard question. When you were in that younger phase of life when you were finishing your undergrad and your your master's degree, how did you figure that out? How did you figure out what you wanted to do, what your values were, and what was important to you? For me, it was a little bit dictated by my circumstances. So my husband, we got married. He had another year of grad school, and then he wanted to go on and get his PhD. So we knew there were a few more years of school that he was going to be dealing with. So for me, it was a combination of, okay, I'm going to be the primary breadwinner for a while. And so I need a, a job that can do that for us while he's going to school full time. And um, But I also wanted it to be something that was exciting, was fulfilling, was challenging. I knew that for me, I'm if I walk into a room and there's people in there and no one is the designated leader, guess who's going to step up and do it? Whether I know what I'm talking about or not, it, I've just always gravitated to leadership roles or being able to fill that vacuum and void. I don't have to be the leader, but if there's a void or there's a vacuum, I'm going to do it. And I was very comfortable in that. And so made a lot of mistakes when I didn't know, but I learned tremendous and learned a lot from that. And just 
whether it's my personality or my makeup or just the willingness to put myself out there, I think was a combination of that. So I needed to be in a place where I had a voice. I needed to be in a role that I could teach because I enjoy teaching. I enjoy instructing and sharing knowledge with people. I enjoy reading a lot. So I'm always picking up on new things. I probably have three or four books I'm reading at any given time. Uh, most of those are around leadership. Though every once in a while I'll throw in a, a fictional book in there or something. <laughs> um, but it really is about, for me, that was the, the world I needed to be in was being able to help guide others, help set them up for success, give them new skills, give them new abilities. Fortunately, Brinker was that place for me. And so it allowed me to get exposed to a lot of different companies, how they did things, try out a lot of new stuff, experiment, which was really important to me. Experiential is was really huge. I'm not one to just get up and lecture. If you ever go into any of my training classes, there are People are up, moving around, doing stuff, right? It's all about learning as you do. So I was just really blessed and fortunate that I was put in a company that believed in that. And so that really molded a lot of uh, who I became and really allowed me to step into what I felt like was my strengths. That was a great first experience for you, obviously, where you had a lot of opportunity and freedom to really fit the style of leadership and development that you wanted to do. But now you're on the opposite <laughs> side of the board. You're mm-hmm. seeing all all these new people coming into that uh, business corporate environment. Can you tell us some of the things that you see that younger people today are doing that might be a mistake or might not turn out the way they want it to? What we're running into, what I see out there happening in the work environment is a lot of our younger people are coming in and they're coming in with some expectations of what the organization owes me. And so we all can fall into that trap. I've fallen into that trap, right? And there is a piece that, yes, the organization should create opportunities for us to grow and develop and and get the roadblocks out of our way to help us maximize our potential and do the best because it serves them well as, as, as well. The key, though, is realizing that you own your own development. You own your own, if you want to use the word destiny or where you want to get, living into who you feel called to be or who you desire to be. And you can't sit back and wait for the organization or feel the organization owes you that. If you want to grow in an area, then by golly, find that mentor, read that book, ask for opportunities, be willing to step out and take a risk and know that you might fail and that should be okay. If you're in the right organization, failure should be welcomed and should be supported as long as learning's taking place. But don't feel like the organization owes me this. Um, earn it. And most organizations, what I find is that when they see, I know for me, I oftentimes have young people wanting to move into leadership or they're wanting to take on a new role, but they wait until the role is open and then they make it known or they're like, oh, I think I'll do that this time or I think I'll try that. That's a new shiny object, a new uh, path to go down. And what I typically tell them is you need to be doing that before that position opens up. If you want to go into leadership, then you need to be acting like a leader before you're in that role. You need to be learning how to lead. You need to be trying to work with people and understand people dynamics and be that influencer without the title, without the, the authority. If you can influence people without that, I'm going to see you doing that. And the next time we have a leadership role open, you're going to be the person I'm immediately going to think of because I've already seen you demonstrate that and live that. So live into who you want to be. If you want to make a career change, you want to go from this position to something totally unrelated, start learning it. Start, you know, mentoring, shadowing, asking questions, finding out about it before the position's open and you're like, that looks fun. You should already be gaining that. So I want to see you take initiative. I want to see you say, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. And when I see that drive, 
I'm going to be behind you 100%. For some reason, a light bulb just went on for me. Um, I think the most relatable thing is, what do we do in college? We prepare ourselves for where we would like to go down. For example, if you're studying business, you're obviously going to most likely go into something business related. So Mm -hmm. you start tracking towards those behaviors like you were Mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's really difficult to do when there's not necessarily that position in sight. Right. But it's super important, like you said, to live authentically and to press into who you're called to be, who you want to be. Right. Which is huge about seeking feedback. Uh, Kim Scott wrote a book called Radical Candor. Phenomenal book. I highly recommend it as well. But it's not just about, okay, if you want to give me feedback, I'll take it. No, it's give me feedback. And I want you to be candid with me. And I want you to tell me, what are you seeing that I'm doing well? And what could I be doing better? And don't, you don't have to be mean about it, but be candid about it. Shoot straight with me. No, let me know where I'm being successful and where I'm not being successful and what I could do here and do there. Mentor me, right? Guide me. But I have to seek that out. I can't just sit back and wait or, you know, be unhappy because I'm not getting that from my supervisor. Am I asking for it? Am I seeking it? Same thing if, you know, I feel like I've plateaued in my role. Well, am I actively looking for other opportunities? We have a mentor program that I created a couple of years ago in our organization for just that purpose of if I'm interested, if, if I know I'm coming to a plateau in my uh, particular position, looking around and saying, is there something else that kind of interests me? Taking advantage of that mentoring program and go spend some time with somebody who's living that, who's doing it. What do I need to do to prepare myself for that the next time there's an opening there? So you can't just sit back and wait for it to just open up and be handed, delivered to you. You have to go seek it. Uh, I often tell young people when I'm coaching them around careers and decisions, you know, the thing that I find is when they come out of college, they're so worried about making a wrong decision, you know? And it's like, stop. (laughs) You know, yes, you want to try to align with the best, your best choice if you have multiple options, but realize that whatever decision you make, whichever company you go into, whichever direction you go, as long as you give it your all, it is the right decision at that moment and at that time, because you can learn from any situation right? Good or bad. So it's what do you choose to do with it? And then be intentional about, okay, now where do I want to go next? And what does that look like? And how do I, like you said, we do in college, how do I prepare for that? But don't wait till it, you know, the bus comes along and passes you by because you weren't ready to get on it. You didn't, you know, have your token, so to speak, to get on the bus because you weren't prepared for it. And so it just kept going. And I love that you bring that up. And I think it's really important that people realize that they can start as early as they want or the earlier, the better, you know, go up to your professor and ask them Mm -hmm. for opportunities. And it kind of reminds me of the quote, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you ask for. Mm -hmm. I don't think that quote is 100% accurate because it has the connotation of undeserving people get the good things. But I think how it relates to what you're saying is you you really want to work for what you want and you want to put in that effort, that sweat equity, but you also should ask and you should also put yourself out there and seek that opportunity because if you have those two and you're doing those two as best Mm -hmm. as you can, then doors just open and the possibilities are endless at that point. The successful companies want to look for people who have drive, who are want to take it to the next level, who they can count on when they give them something that they're going to take it and run with it and do their best. But they also want people that are going to do it wisely and do it smart. And they're not going to compromise their integrity. They're not going to compromise other people in the process that they have uh, that level of um, integrity that the company can count on, or organization can count on. But we are looking for people who take initiative. And, even if, and that doesn't mean you have to say, well, I always have to be moving up or I have to... No, I, I'll take somebody who's perfect 
perfectly content where they're at as an individual contributor, but they're continuing to grow. We have a, one of our values um, also is give more than you take. And the idea behind that is that when you step into a role, it should be better when you left it than it was when you went into it. So how do you make that role better? How do you get better at that role? How do you grow it? How do you stretch it? How do you take it to the next level? Because there really should not be anything static. I don't care. It can be accounting principles. There's still room for growth. There's still room for, hey, have we thought about this? Have we tried this before? Have we applied this principle in there? You know, look for opportunities to just that continuous improvement. And how do I get better? How do I make my role better? How do I make my team better? Sandra, one of the things that you mentioned was you created a mentorship program at your work Mm -hmm. um, to kind of help people through those transitions and help people figure out what they want to do. How has mentorship impacted your life directly? I actually have a, a current mentor right now myself. So I don't think you ever have been in uh, the workforce too long to have a mentor. There's always somebody you can learn from. And it and it could be somebody that's been there before you or someone who's coming up with a new idea. So I highly encourage people to not be so, well, it's got to be someone who's at a higher level than me, or it's got to be someone who's older than me or more experienced than me. No, you can learn from somebody who might be brand new that brings new knowledge that you may not have. So it, it's it's been huge. I, I can think of several key individuals in my life that they demonstrated what solid leadership looks like. And I know that when I worked under them or worked with them, I felt fulfilled. I felt engaged. I felt uh, I'd go anywhere with them, right? They could they could count because I trusted them, but I knew, and why did I trust them? Because I knew that they were always going to try to do what, the right thing, that their integrity was impeccable. And that's one of the things that I got burned early on in my career where I had someone that was my supervisor and we worked very closely together. And it was interesting because I I saw his insecurities of how he sometimes fudged with other people, but made the false assumption, oh, he would never do that to me. Right. And then I learned, yeah, he would, you know, and and it was, it was just a difference of what was important to him versus what was important to me. And it did come back to bite me at one point because um, I I just assumed that, you know, I was going to be that unique individual that he would never do this to uh, out of, you know, fear or whatever was motivating him to make some of the choices he was making. So be sure that you're looking for mentors, one that align with your values, one that ones that you feel like always operate Uh, with integrity, regardless of who they're dealing with. They don't just put on one face for the client or one face for the CEO or in a a totally different face for for the people that they lead. You want somebody who's consistent. And so that's what I looked for was consistency. People that I would want to emulate, that I know how they made me feel. I knew how they challenged me. I knew how they encouraged me and sometimes wouldn't let me give up even though I wanted to. And that's then became the leader that I wanted to be. And so trying to learn how to do that myself and look for for that glimmer in the person I'm leading in their eye and know that they feel my goal is for them to feel like they're able to live into who they want to be. I'm there to challenge them, to give them opportunity, to give them hope, to encourage them when they're struggling. And so trying to be that same person that these mentors were for me. So it's huge. Most of my career, I can always think of a person during the different seasons or different years that I really looked up to and learned a lot by how they led on a daily basis. Doesn't mean they never made mistakes, but they owned them and moved forward when they did. Do you see a key theme between the different mentors you've had throughout your life and career, or do you value the different mentors because they're different and they teach you, you know, a little bit of everything to help kind of complete who you are overall? I would say the theme that when I look at the mentors, the themes that they had similar, one was integrity, two was they were my biggest champion. 
So like I said, even though maybe I felt like I can't do this or I felt dissuaded or I felt discouraged, they were the ones who came along and said, yes, you can do this. I've seen you. I believe in you. I know you. And I'm going to go there with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. So every one of them, I can say, definitely lived that out. I would say that their leadership style might be different. Some were more quiet, reserved, uh, you know, that, and then others were in the forefront leading the charge. I had different skill sets, um, related to people maybe a little bit differently, but, uh, and that's great because then you get to learn different styles because as you become a leader, you're leading different types of people and you need to know how to do that well, how to flex your style as, uh, Kim Blanchard talks about, you know, situational leadership, depending on the situation and the person and how do you flex as a leader to help bring out the best in them. So you need to have examples of, different types of leaders and what's called for at different seasons and with different teams and different people. Um, but there still needs to be that line of what are the similarities? What what inspired you? What kept you moving forward? And I really love that point. It's something that you don't really think about or hear about too often when it comes to mentorship is that, that champion or that mm-hmm. advocate, because most people think of mentorship as a purely educational role, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. But Having someone who is that support system, who is going to push you towards those mm-hmm. new, towards growing in that new opportunity, is just as important as the actual knowledge transfer, so to speak. So, yeah. I, I love that you pointed that out. Yeah, it's huge. Every one of us hits those roadblocks, and we just want to give up. Right? I can't do this, or I wish it was easier. And you need that person that's going to come along and say, "I believe in you. I believe you can do this, and I've seen you be successful. I know you've got what it takes." And that's that thing that spurs you on to overcome that obstacle. So it's really, it's, it's huge to have champions behind you when you don't have the energy or the, or the belief. And I can definitely appreciate that because it's one thing that I love about my mentors. He's always, like you said, my biggest champion. He supports me when I don't feel so hot mm-hmm. and when I feel like I'm not doing a good job. He, yep. Like you're talking about, picks me back up, dusts me mm-hmm. off, says, go get it. Yep. I believe in you. Yep. And that makes a huge difference. Sandra, what has been one of your biggest aha moments in leadership? One of my biggest aha moments was probably one of my biggest failings, right? Um, Learned from. And that was anytime you're called upon to be a leader that does not align with your own personal leadership values and what you believe makes a leader successful, that challenge, that compromise will eat away at you. And you just can't. At all costs, you have to stay true to and that's why it's so important to identify what are your values when it comes around leading people what's important what's critical about that Uh, and then if an organization or a supervisor or someone or a customer is challenging you you know John you were talking about a customer that's been giving you a hard time right if a customer well you got to fire that person right but that goes against everything that you know as a leader you may have to forego that customer. You may have to forego that boss. You may have to forego that that company because they're asking you to be untrue to what you believe is important about being a leader and being successful. And it's not worth it when you find yourself in that situation. And sometimes you have to walk away. Um, I did that eventually in the situation I'm thinking of, but I didn't do it soon enough or I didn't take the stand that I should have taken. And so that still haunts me to this day sometimes that I wish I had stayed truer in that particular situation to the leader I felt called to be and what I felt was a leader of integrity rather than allowing myself to compromise those values. Eventually I did stand strong, but I wish I had done it sooner. Could you share that specific situation with us? It was a situation where I was needing to, I was being pressured to uh, drive results 
that I knew in order to get there, those bottom line results, get those metrics, that it was going to mean compromising a lot of integrity and creating bad behaviors at the same time. But boy, the numbers would look good. Um, And so feeling the pressure of being driven by a vice president to do that, then in order to do that, you kind of got to crack the whip sometimes on the people, you know, so you got to get the numbers at all costs. And maybe I didn't say those exact words, but that was probably the message I was sending because I was feeling the pressure. Mm -hmm. And then what comes with that is if your people aren't, delivering those numbers, you know, your boss or your supervisor, a couple of rungs up is then trying to hold you accountable. So then that accountability goes down, you know, the line. And so uh, I was feeling the pressure of that and to deliver those types of results, even though we had been very, very successful up to that point. And there was a lot of outside pressures that were creating that um, situation as well. Um, Company trying to buy us and all that type of stuff. So important to have the right bottom line numbers, right? But our culture and our values were getting thrown out the window at the same time in order to get the best deal um, for the company. And so realizing that it's just, it's important. You know, I felt like I was having to treat my people, the people I was leading and responsible for in a way that was not aligned with my own integrity. And so walking at it, so just... The, the, the turmoil that that created for me, it was, it was interesting. My kids were still at home at that time. They were all teenagers, you know. And after I left the organization as a result of that, and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't be the leader they're asking me to be because it doesn't align with my belief and what I uh, value as a leader. I can't do this anymore. And it was interesting because my daughter said to me probably about a month later, she's like, wow, mom, you're nice again. You know, and that was just a big, oh my gosh, right? And and it was interesting because the stress I was carrying, I was going to the chiropractor three times a week, right? Because my neck was just, so I was carrying the physical load of it, the stress of it. I was not being nice to my family. I was being stretched. And so I wasn't, not, not only not at work was I not living into the leader, but even at home, I was living into the person that I felt was important to be. And I was hurting the people around me because of all that stress. So it's, it's important that when you find yourself in those situations, you've got you've to know, again, you've got to know who you are and how far are you willing to bend or stretch or compromise, right? And, and you really have to be careful that you don't fall into that trap. It's not worth it. You end up compromising in other areas of your life that are as important, if not more important. We're going to transition more into bullet questions as we close out this episode of the podcast. So Sandra, recommend one resource that's helpful to you in everyday life. I would say people, people that uh, you trust and will speak truth to you. I I have a a really, really good friend outside of work that will call me on my stuff. And we spend a lot of time together, you know, outside of the work. And then I have a couple individuals at work that are peers that will do the same. And so I would say, Seeking their input, seeking their um, encouragement, uh, seeking their, hey, correct me when I'm off base here. So I, I think people are your best resource altogether. If you can find those individuals that you really trust and will speak truth to you when they need to, but it's because they care and mm-hmm. it's because they want you to succeed. And recommend one book. Oh, that's so hard. I've read so many. <laughs> I would say the one right now that that I that I've probably has really hit me, and and I'm actually going to be working through it with some leaders at work, and that's the Dare to Lead with Brene Brown, and that's the idea that you, there is no courage without vulnerability. And so many times in the work environment, we try to put up these walls and these facades and pretend that we've got it all together and we don't make mistakes, and I got all the answers. And especially, I think that's the challenge as you move up in an organization, and you get to that, you know, director VP 
VP or executive level, you feel like you can't make mistakes or you have to pretend that you know the right answers and so, and you don't. And your best, your greatest leaders, your most successful organizations have people at the top that are willing to be vulnerable. Sandra, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the, the podcast. Share one parting piece of wisdom, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, Delmar, Brent, it's been great. Thanks for inviting me. It's been it's been fun experience here. One word of advice is, uh, and I, I think I used this word earlier, but it's really become a motto, and that's intentionality. And whatever that is, in the leader that you want to be, the business person you want to be, the family member you want to be, whatever that looks like, is it doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional um, and decide who you want to live into. One of my greatest experiences when I was going through becoming a certified coach was we did a, a real intent, intense situation where you had to really project yourself out 10 years and you had to use a word to describe what you wanted to be known for. And then what that did for me is landed was, if that's who I want to be, am I living in it today? And so it really landed that for me. And so figure out who you want to become, who you want to live into, and then ask yourself, and what am I doing to get me there? Am I making strides for it today with that? Because if I'm not, I ought to look at that. How to get in touch with me. So um, probably the best way to get in touch with me is you can find me um, at Church Community Builder. My uh, email address there is scalhoun, C-A-L-H-O-U-N, at, and yes, we spell it all the way out, Church Community Builder, no S, dot com. Thank you again for being on the podcast. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Attitude Check. It was such a pleasure to have Sandra Calhoun as a guest. She has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to leadership and coaching and developing others. And I know, at least for me personally, I learned a lot from her wisdom. Both Brent and I really enjoyed having her on the podcast. Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for a new episode of Attitude Check. And like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to tap that subscribe button on your favorite podcast hosting platform, because let's face it, you know you want to. To get in contact with us, you can message us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email us at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.